Sometimes when you teach workshops, there are dogs there that need more help than the workshop experience can offer. This happened to us in October with a dog named Boone. Phyllis and I were teaching a workshop and Boone's owner, Becky Davis, who is also a trainer, brought him to the workshop for his severe car reactivity and redirecting on her when he was amped. She had tried many training techniques and felt a little bit at a standstill with Boone's progress. We worked with Boone some around a car and he did make progress, but we felt he needed more than we could offer him at that time. So Phyllis worked privately with Becky. What Phyllis suggested may surprise many. We basically asked Becky to change some things in the household pack and management and simply take Boone for walks and rebuild the relationship at Let Boone Decompress. This is not a complicated process, but it is not necessarily easy. A few months and three lessons later, Boone was walking past cars without any reaction. Becky was also able to trim Boone's nails, something that was previously a problem. This is a recount of how we did this and Becky's journey with Boone and her thoughts along the way. So we are here with Phyllis Smuland and Becky Davis. Becky. Hi. Phyllis isn't going to say anything. Hi. <laughs> I didn't know if I was still good. <laughs> Becky came to a workshop we had in October of 2022. And you had a very challenging dog yeah. named Boone. Named Boone. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Boone and why you brought him to the workshop and all that. So Boone was um, a COVID puppy. His family, his first family adopted him as a little puppy during COVID. And he did not get a lot of socialization. And when he started... Uh, biting them in disagreement of being moved off of the furniture. They called me. We started working together, and I was uh, primarily using e-collars at that point. We made a lot of progress, and we got him through some stuff, but eventually management failed, as it often does, and he bit a kid and they weren't going to keep him and i decided that i could fix him and he would be perfect for me and then i could rehome him and <laughs> that's not exactly how things ended up working out <laughs> so boone came to live with me probably maybe five months before we came to the seminar in october it was a lot it, once he got in my house and he adjusted it, I saw a lot of the things that I had only heard about. His biggest trigger for sure was, still is, moving cars. Very fearful and very reactive on the leash and coming back on the handler on me. By the time I came to the workshop in October, I was really at a standstill and not sure not sure how to progress in with him his his obedience and his recall and his e-collar skills were great but throw a moving car into the works and nothing mattered he yeah. was fully in error and you know fight or flight couldn't flight so 
he couldn't bite the car, he would try to bite me holding the leash. Mm. So when you brought him to the just, workshop, of course, I think you had told me a little bit about him via email, but usually Phyllis and I don't like to know too much about the dogs because we want to do an evaluation and figure out who that dog is. Um, and if we know too much information, it might color what we see or don't see. So we kind of try to go in blind, so to speak. And when I met Boone, I remember he was so sweet. He came up and I think he sat down and he, he was a little uncomfortable with me touching, I think his butt or something. And he, he just kind of looked at me and kind of got a little still, but nothing major. And I was like, well, this seems like a pretty nice dog. What's wrong with him? Looked at me, dog even have any issues? Yeah. And I was, fine. he's such a good boy. I fixed him. You know, sometimes one thing Phyllis and I were talking about in Boone's case was that sometimes evals let you see what the dog is in a good way. A lot of people think evals are to find fault with the dogs. But a lot of times, like I was just at the shelter yesterday, and I'm actually looking for good things primarily. You know, I don't go in there like, oh, let's find everything wrong with the dog. You know, we try and find good things and and maybe some quote-unquote bad things or areas the dog is sensitive in or something like that. But usually I'm going in there looking for a dog I can pull for a rescue. So I think with temperament tests, you know, it can tell you things about a dog who's maybe had, like you said, lack of socialization or maybe a traumatic experience or something like that. It can actually tell you what might be underneath. So Boone was interesting for me because then you told me all that he's done and I'm like, what? Like that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) And then I remember we worked primarily on the car issue at the workshop And I put him on a long line and I had a friend of ours drive her Jeep up and down the driveway. And the reason I used the long line was so he could kind of be away from people and see what his reaction is on his own. And what he did was tuck his tail and try and get away. So that told us a lot. Or was that me? Because you evaled him, but I on the leash. No, I had the leash. Initially. Yeah. Outside in front of Angela's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like right in front of the fence there. And he tried to go like through the gate, I think, into the field. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> that very first pass. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to die. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, well, a lot of times I use long lines for things like that. Of course, safety first. You know, we don't want to set the dog up to be hit by a car, get into trouble or anything like that. But, you know, just to see what their reaction is on their own. If they were out roaming around on the streets by themselves, what would they choose to do? And he chose to go away. So I think, Phyllis, this is where you probably pick up. And because then you worked with him more than I did. Part of the we decided to do this because for a lot of people who were there, they didn't know what the end result was 
and that wasn't a dog we could really take any further in just a couple of days. He went towards the parking lot initially, and then I believe I started to follow her out of the driveway. I mean, it's been a while, you know. Angela was driving her Jeep up the driveway, and I started to follow her. And it went okay in the beginning. And then at some point, I gave him space and moved to the right, and that's when he reacted if I remember correctly, because you were there watching. And when, when you're, you know, when you're in that moment, you're focused at, as to what's happening, not how you got there necessarily, because you're living in that very moment with the dog. So you're not going, hmm, did, what did I do first? Did I follow the vehicle? I just know where we ended up, which was he got reactive and he got the muzzle off. This is the fourth dog in four decades I've put a muzzle on. And for whatever reason, you looked at me in the barn and said, do you want to put the muzzle on him? And I went, I think I looked at Becky and I went, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just remember that conversation at when, some point. Yeah, once he, I brought the muzzle out with us, but once he was avoiding and you guys kind of passed me the leash and then he came, at he you. came at me a couple of times. Um, and then you said, we got to put the muzzle on and then it kind of, everything sort of escalated from that point. Um, so it actually got worse when we put the muzzle on him. It did. Yeah. Which so, makes sense. Yep. Actually. Right. So. Yeah. And I, like Phyllis is saying, I just remember being very overwhelmed. <laughs> very overwhelming day for me, kind of seeing like the full the full, I guess, uh, depth of that trauma really in him and how, how scared he really was. Cause I mean, he was, there were a couple times he was flying at Phyllis's face, really trying to come back on us. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot on a lot of levels because as that started happening, I turned around and realized the entire uh, <laughs> group that we had were, were following us. Right. And they kept a good distance. But I lost my focus because I'm thinking if the dog is seeing what I'm seeing, I feel like I have an entire pack that's chasing me. Right. Okay. And I'm going, I'm putting my hand up trying to get people to back up a little bit, trying to get the dog to chill out. So I lost my my moment there a little bit and he knew it. So I was off for a second, but if I were to go back, this is the dog that I saw in the barn was the dog that, and remember, I don't want to know anything. So I'm watching Julie evaluate Boone and I see next to nothing. I see a dog that is testing pretty nicely. Right. And again, we don't want to know these things because we want to see who the real dog is. And the real dog is the dog that Julie tested, which we get to later, right? But it's not what I expected. So I expected to go out there and have this dog that, I don't know, I put the leash on the dog. I give him the space that he doesn't feel crowded. He doesn't feel like he feels like he can move away from the vehicle. We're not forcing him to be on top of it, right? 
and I'll talk about why we got so close later. And so I expected it just to kind of, okay, we'll give him what he needs and he won't feel so much pressure and so much tension on the leash and he'll relax and he'll just go, oh, this is so much easier. I'll just follow you. Right. And when that didn't, <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute, who is this dog? Right. And you can't think it out at that moment. You just have to deal with whatever's in front of you. So what I then realized was the more distance I had from the vehicle, the more explosive he was. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to get closer and it was like, I would have a little breakthrough and I'd be like, okay, but then we'd be too far away and we couldn't stop. And then my other thought was, I can't do this. Becky has to do this. So we went back and forth and back and forth on me passing the leash back and forth. And it got to a point where it was like, we, we would find that moment and then we couldn't, we couldn't. And we worked our way until we could get back to the barn, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, I mean, that's how I felt. And I think, I had no idea that you weren't Becky just took it like calm, cool, confident. She's like, no problem. She took the leash and I'm like, okay, cool. This girl's got it. Like, you know, she's not, she's not like going, I can't do this or, but I think inside. I was going to say, what was happening I, inside? I <laughs> and so, you know, where we went next is what really ended up helping. I think the whole situation which is what nobody got to see, which is why we're doing this. Testing really does work because you evaluated him. And by the end of this, we'll know where Ben is now. So, Well, and I think there were a lot of factors. You know, one is being a trainer and having a dog at a workshop. There's always this pressure, just pure pressure of, you know, you don't want your dog to misbehave or you look, you know, you're afraid of being judged and all this stuff. And then, I mean, a lot of dogs we do get are, I wouldn't say easy, but they're not super difficult, but, but Boone really like flipped that on and hit his head. I had that happen to me yesterday, man, you know, where you're like, Oh, okay. I, I got the leash on this dog. He's okay. And then wham like he was coming after me and you know i'm like oh my gosh and this was a shelter dog you know so sometimes dogs can uh take you by surprise a little bit and boone did and and then also at a workshop i mean phyllis and i are i mean i guess we put some level of pressure on ourselves to try and help the people that come when they're there you know we want to we just really want to try and help people see some improvement. But in Boone's case, we had to extend it some because we couldn't fix it in three days with three sessions. It was deeper than that. So, um, and I know like, I think Phyllis wanted to enjoys the challenge as well. She's like, I want to work with that dog some more, you know, and help and help him and figure him out because it was a, it was a challenging case. So, I couldn't leave him like that. Yeah. I was explaining with what he's trying to do is have him sit and stay and keep a distance. So I think when he does that, he's fixating, fixating, and then wanting to go. You know, so the moving is better, but like I was saying to her, this could be a lengthy process. But on the <laughs> other hand, I want this to, I want her to get some results today where she can walk with you. Right. You know? I mean, I'm already seeing really lovely things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's relaxed. 
Still more, like considerably. Usually, probably he might be a board and train. I don't know. Would you have done a board and train uh, with him or no? Huh. That that depends on when you ask me that question. Now, no, way back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he would have been, and he would have been a dog for me that I would have taken a very, very long time with. And it would have been one of those where, with my clients anyway, it might be like, well, you know, I know the program for a dog like this is six weeks, but I don't care how long it takes. I won't charge you any extra if he needs to stay longer. And then when they go, well, you just mean a week or something, right? And I go, well, really, I don't know. I mean, I've kept dogs for three months. I've kept dogs for six months. I've kept dogs for 30 days. It depends on the dog. In this case, it would have been a lengthy thing. But when the dog's redirecting on its handler, the handler's the one that needs to work with the dog. So for me, that kind of scenario is almost like us dealing with, you know, like certain massive type dogs. The owner is the one that needs to be able to manage the dog because it's not really fair for us or for the dog, for us to go in and try to quote unquote take over. And so I would have treated it more like that. But I, and I think he had done that. I think he did a board and train in a, in a sense because Becky, I think took him in for a board and train. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did do a two week board and train, e-collar board and train with them at one point in our training and I had no issues. That's he didn't, with the owner. he didn't, right. He didn't react to any cars, but literally as soon as I passed the leash at the take home, he went off and then I couldn't get him fully back and they never, they never could obviously. And yeah, it definitely was not a, uh, not a three or four day fix. And do you think the, like looking back, the board and train wasn't long enough for him to feel comfortable to react with you? Absolutely. Yeah, we didn't have the same rapport where, you know, he felt where he felt comfortable enough to uh, to show all of his like true behaviors, all of his true, you know, motivations and things like that. It was more uh, and it was like skill based, you know, mm-hmm. so we're busy, busy, busy. We're doing a million things. He's staying under threshold, but he's in a lo- under a lot of stress. Well, and I think a lot of, I mean, board and trains are kind of tricky and I don't actually do them because for lots of reasons, but I also think the owner needs to learn how to handle the dog. But unless you keep that dog a long time and kind of treat it like your own dog, you're not going to see a lot of the behaviors the owner will see. Not in two weeks. Definitely not. Yeah. And especially, yeah, I mean, it takes two weeks to just settle in, you know, everyone says, Oh, when you adopt a dog, it takes at least two weeks. And then we do two week boarding trains and the dog hasn't really had time to settle in. And like you said, get comfortable and kind of show their true selves. I, I always equate it to, uh, you know, you have a, a house guest for a few days and they pick up after themselves and they're real neat and stuff. But once they become a roommate stuff, stuff yeah. changes. So you know, they get comfortable and they start leaving their underwear laying around or whatever. So, um, <laughs> exactly. Phyllis, explain a little bit like what you guys did on your lessons because I wasn't there. I didn't get to see. For me, you know, you never know how people, what people are thinking, right? And I, I can remember like it was yesterday. We're standing at the end of Angela's driveway. 
And I looked at her and I went, I think I asked her how far away she was from me. And I said, would you consider working with me privately? And I think you, you were like, yeah, sure. I was like, I don't care how far it is. I will drive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was very aware at that moment, especially going through those few stressful days with Boone and seeing really how, how severe actions had become and how dangerous he was becoming. Yeah. Uh, that I had to do something different and I had to do it fast. And I had looked at your website and your website while we were at the seminar and it said you weren't taking new clients. Mm -hmm. And so when you said that to me, I said, oh my gosh, are you taking new clients? You'll work with me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want a new client at a point. That's what you said. That's what you said. <laughs> it really was because I had to build a relationship with the dog because that's what I would do if I had a dog in for a board and train. And when we're doing workshops there are some dogs we can connect with you know and we can help them or we can help the people that are handling them or give suggestions and that kind of thing like here's a little program that might help this dog start here and here kind of thing this is different because you had a dog that was absolutely terrified a dog that i didn't expect was going to react that way because i see the dog in the barn i don't see the dog on the on the driveway right and so my energy was not expecting that either Right. And we've done that. I mean, we've had workshops. We had a dog that went after skateboards and we couldn't get the dog to go after skateboards, actually. You know, I mean, it worked out really nicely. So sometimes it's it's not as bad as it seems. So, again, there were all these things that played in. And so I needed to build some kind of trusting relationship with this dog before we tackled his problem, especially with me, because now that connection to me was very negative. And I think it took three lessons. And then, you know, we'll talk about that, like, in detail as to how that happened. But the third, I think it was the end of the third lesson. We were just hanging out on the deck. All right? Yeah. And he came up to me like he came up to you. Mm -hmm. Put his face and then in I your think lap. we videoed the fourth lesson, was you walking? I think you're right. And we'll talk about that, too, because yeah. I'm mm -hmm. give all that away right now. But, yeah. Well, I mean, just go into kind of. I know you didn't just work on obedience and stuff. You changed a lot of things in the house. So, that's really good that you actually said that because, you know, you're leading me in the right direction here. Thank uh -huh. you, Julie, for that. Um, no, the first thing we did was take all the equipment off the dog. I think we used just a slip leash, very lightweight, no weight to it. It was a little minimal weight. What did you have on him? You had an e-collar and a prong collar. Yeah. Um, and we also uh, added a thunder shirt. Uh, that I had, I had her work on it at home when he was really, really calm and almost asleep and just have him start to wear that. And then we started using that in the car because the car, just riding in the car was also a trigger, I think, yes. all the time yes. like prior to that, yes. right? So, so hold oh, on, yeah. hold on. So elaborate on the Thunder shirt and why you had her put it on him when he was calm because I think a lot of people will put it something like that on the dog when they're already a little stressed? It will absolutely not work if you put it on and the dog is already stressed. There's no magic coat that you can put on a dog that just makes the stress go away. The dog has to already feel that security before the stressor hits. And, so, and if it does it, and it actually even says that in the instructions um, of the Thunder Shirt, it says to put it on the dog and introduce it when the dog's in a calm, relaxed I don't know how they verbiage it, but basically, right. yeah. Um, and I've used those 
not in a lot of dogs, but on several dogs that were reactive because it just gives them the little extra bit of security. Yeah. Dogs will put pressure on young dogs when they're stressed or they're anxious by putting their mouth over top and working their way down the back. You saw that with Swifty and her mm -hmm. puppies. She did that. My dogs would do that, holding the muzzle, working from the middle of the back of the neck all the way down. So where those pressure points are, that thunder shirt is putting that pressure on at that time. And it's, it's helping. I've seen you do that too, massaging, right? Yeah. yeah. With your hand. And all of those things are helping the dog get into a more relaxed state. So if the dog was more relaxed on the ride down, which was what, three hours with a dog that doesn't like to be in the car, and I believe it, it really helped it. I use it for a lot of other things like this, right? I, I find the thunderstorms are tricky to put it on the dog soon enough. That's right. That's, yeah. Because we well, don't know they're coming. <laughs> that's right. Until they start shaking, and by the time they're shaking... It's too late. Well, do you know um, that uh, Temple Grandin built a squeezing machine for herself? I, I do, actually, which uh, we've talked about that. Actually, the movie displays that really nice. Okay. What other things did you change in the house, Becky? I know, I think there were quite a few lifestyle changes. I made a lot of changes in my pack that weren't actually Boone. So Boone was already not allowed to elevate on furniture uh, because he had issues respecting that uh, being removed from furniture with his with his first family. Mm. But my other dogs were. And we talked a lot about that pack dynamic and the leadership and agreeing with the order that the dogs set for themselves. All of the dogs came off of all of the furniture all of the time. I started doing things with my pack more mindfully in terms of supporting my, my leader dog, my sweet little girl who likes to follow and mm. Boone started following her more as well. Um, I stopped allowing him to be off leash, even in the fenced yard mm. and just, him a lot of structure all of the time. Uh, more time in the crate, more just decompressing. I stopped allowing him to bark at things out on the street and patrol kind of, you know, that watching things out the windows and mm. barking at things going past the house. Stop letting him chase uh, squirrels in the backyard. He, there's a tree and all the squirrels love it up in the air and he would just chase them and try to jump up the tree and all of these you know, prey, prey drive kind of type of behaviors that were really, I, you know, Phyllis helped me understand the way that all of those behaviors that aren't actually about cars right. are actually, you know, same part of the brain, the same type of behavior, you know, those neural pathways and those habits become very closely linked. So taking him out of those situations where he's practicing the same behaviors started to make a big change in terms of the more stressful times and things that he, you know, wanting to chase cars. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, my first dog, Annie, that Phyllis helped me train, she liked to guard the house a lot. And one of the things that I did was uh, block off 
just the bottom half of the windows with those blinds that open from the top. I think that decreased her problems I was having on walks by probably 50%. I believe that, yeah. So I was, I was obvious, as an e-collar trainer, I was very set on every dog having off-leash freedom and getting to run full speed and be with other dogs and you know, have, you know, it it was just in my mind, that was like the pinnacle, right? Like Mm -hmm. all dogs had to experience this. Just honestly, I think even just removing his access freely to off leash, even in the yard made such a huge difference because right. He started to understand and, and, and choose to follow me in times that it was easy for him to make that choice Mm. and started to start to figure out that, Oh, Hey, when I follow, when I follow her in the yard and she keeps me safe. Right. And start to prove that other pattern of, I don't have to always be in charge and be protecting and be defensive and be a raging maniac in order to stay safe, I can trust someone else to do that for me because I started affecting that in all areas of life, not just the times where it was hardest for him to trust me. And we did that for months, yeah. months, months. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> well, it takes a long time to change habits for, for the exactly. dog. Well, and I think Sorry. a lot of ahead, people, Julie. you know, like, think that the dog's biggest joy is being off leash, which may be true, but if the dog's a maniac the other 95% of the time, you know, and not happy in his life and he can feel less stressed and less reactive and all that, then it's worth the time to take away some of that freedom. I mean, because you kind of have to use leash sometimes to rebuild behaviors because... You have to start controlling the dog. That's not the end goal, but, you know, you need a way to change the dog's behavior. And a leash does a really good job at that. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And just creating a situation where he is making less decisions for himself. Mm-hmm. So that the decision that he is able to make, I'm able to agree with. So that right. when I do have situations, where I have to disagree, it's much easier and it's a lighter energy that's needed to redirect him in those times because I'm not nagging him 24-7, letting him have all this quote-unquote freedom where I'm constantly disagreeing with the choices that he makes. Yeah. Leadership does not mean punishment and it doesn't mean corrections. And it is, I think, mistaken... Sometimes we're punishing the dog off the couch. We are punishing the dog. You can no longer run around off leash. We are punishing the dog that, you know, he doesn't have equal freedom in the house to sit up and look out the window all day, even though he only barks some of the time. He can bark none of the time because he's up there the whole time, tense and guarding the house. Yeah, And it would not be in that position in a pack of dogs. Dogs would not allow that. Not with not his temperament. 
Right. He would be at the, be in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think Becky made a good point is that taking away some of his freedom allowed him to make better choices and perform desired behavior, which then gave her a chance to praise him and reinforce the good choices. Correct. So it's not about not about correcting and punishing and shaping behaviors in that way. It's about helping the dog understand that it can trust us and therefore it just has to follow us and we've got its back and nothing bad's going to happen and therefore, oh, well, you're not reacting. I don't need to react either. But if they've been reacting for a long time, it's also part, part is habit, part is obviously genetics, right? Yeah. The position that humans put dogs in that are fearful of equality, elevation, allowing them to make decisions where they wouldn't if they were with a stable pack of dogs. Right. And so that's really what all that was about. And then when the dog can relax, you get to go out and do more things with the dog together. These dogs may be fun to people running around, running around, but often they're actually not. Yeah, because mostly what my dogs do, now that I live out in the country without a lot of influence from neighbors and noises and all kinds of things, they lay around a lot and watch and then they'll they'll hunt stuff you know they don't guard things or bark at things all day you know i don't know if that i mean they're alert it's not like they're just clueless to what's going on that's not how they are but they're not on guard that's a lot of responsibility they're relaxed. yeah they're relaxed yeah. like they just hang out you know i think people mistake excitement for happiness and contentment. Yes. Yes. It's we have the conversation to today. Did you? Wow. I mean, excitement is not, in most cases, is not a good thing. Well, and I'm thinking of You know, times, in a lot of cases, dogs are trying to calm down what's in front of them. Yeah. Well, for sure. If, if one of my dogs gets too excited, Chardonnay will chill it, you know, like step in its chill. face and try and chill it out. And like... We don't really right. want to be excited all the time. That's exhausting. Spoken from well, an introvert. You never wear. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to wear them out. No. Not equal to them that way. So, Phyllis, um, go into a little more so, detail about like what you guys did on these lessons and what you started with. The first lesson, we, you know, like I said, we took off all the equipment, just put a slip lead on him. We hadn't used the Thunder shirt yet. I think that was a, that was an afterthought for me. Because mm-hmm. it was a difficult trip down that first time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Behind the house I used to live in is a lot of, you know, bike paths, battlefields, very shaded. And there are a couple of different pathways you can take. And the one that was directly behind my house was the path that few people took. Most people took the long route. So this would be probably a 20-minute 30-minute walk that we took our time and just practiced walking with no tension or pressure on the leash mm. and and no stressors, no cars, no dogs. You know, me, I was part of the stressor and he needed to realize that I wasn't going to cause that, that right. first lesson. And he did, I remember he did pretty well. The second lesson was a difficult one because I had, yeah. um, I lived on a pipe stem, you know, before I moved out here, and there was a little dog behind a chain link fence 
that was just absolutely crazy biting the chain link and oh, barking. And here's the thing. I'm, we're hanging out in the driveway and we, we created some space. They didn't get the dog. And so then there's kind of a big field behind my neighbor's house. And we went down there and I think we tried to wait this dog out. Ridiculous. The dog never went away. And we chose not to take the path at that point because I think it was busier. I think that's when we got into the Thundershirt discussion, maybe. And we just talked about what was going on at home and chalked it up. But it, it, it really didn't go the way I think either one of us wanted mm-hmm. it to go. He left. I think by the time he left, that dog went in finally. I think that's what we waited for. We waited for them to finally bring that dog in. And then we got you. And actually, the third lesson went quite well. We did that again. We were on the path. We walked the path. We, no. Didn't we go down the cul-de-sac that day? We walked in that day. Was that that day or was that the next one? I don't know. We might have done a little walking in the front. You know, no dog barking at him kind of thing. And then Mm. took him on the path. He did really well. And that was the day that we came back and, you know, we want to give him water and, and let him cool off. And we're just sitting on the deck, just, you know, kind of wrapping up on what we're doing. And and he came over and just, like, looked at me like, hey, <laughs> I'm boom. <laughs> it was cool. He put his head right in her lap. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it was very soft. Yeah. Very soft. And he just, you know, and he was fine with me yeah. after that. You know, that was the same dog that was in the barn. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so after that, I think that was my whole goal was to try to, yeah. to gain his trust. Mm-hmm. So then we could start moving forward. But Becky had done all that work uh, in the house of mm-hmm. uh, taking, you know, all these things away and helping him and having good energy with him. And in the next lesson, we did a video of her walking. That was well, and that was the first time. The fourth lesson was the first time since the workshop that we worked around cars in mm-hmm. any capacity. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I kind of came from a mentality in where it was counter condition, counter condition, counter condition, and we're putting dogs in front of triggers over and over and over, right? And we're telling them what to do and we're making them handle it. That expectation of you're going to do this whether you like it or not type of thing, right? With Boom, that very much was uh, the absolute wrong approach. Made everything a lot worse. So it was... I remember being really surprised that, you know, a few months of just what in my mind, I guess my emotional human side felt was restriction. Mm-hmm. I'm taking things away. I'm hitting his choices. He's not having free time or he's not having the chance to make any choice he wants in the world, essentially. And then all of a sudden we go out with cars and it's a busy street and we've got a playground of screaming children on one side <laughs> and moving cars on the other. And he followed me. And me behind you. And Phyllis behind us with a video, which also was a trigger in the beginning. He didn't like people walking. Here's some recording of the fourth lesson when Boone was walking along a highway without any reaction whatsoever. Yeah. And, and he followed me. There was one moment I heard a car sounded differently and I knew it was, I knew it changed his energy and 
it's funny watching the video. Boone is very expressive with his tail. When mm. Boone's tail comes and arches off the way up over his back, that's when we're definitely in trouble. Yeah. And I felt his kind of switch up and I just turned and said no. And I turned back and kept walking and his tail came back down and he went right back into following me. Wow. Yep. Slippery. Yeah. Slippery and thunder shirt. I might have been on a martingale at that point, but yeah, yeah thunder shirt. And, and very little leash pressure. I mean, just that one time. We had worked a lot on kind of just getting into a flow. He was used to walking by my side and not taking the lead and not dragging me places. And I wasn't needing to give him a lot of corrections just to get a position on the walk. But right. we had walked exclusively like woods away from people, away from dogs, away from cars, away from all of the things that had been triggers for him. No good. So part of the reason I had her do that too, and avoiding the triggers, because that again goes against the grain of a lot of training. We got to hurry up. We got to get this dog passing by cars. He needs to comply. He needs to hold a sit stay when a car goes by, et cetera, et cetera. Which to me really means you're making the dog a target. It's got to stay there and it's terrified. And in nature, it would just want to move away. Right. right. We did that so she would have success most of the time. Instead of trigger, try to control, try to correct. Maybe you end positive on some days. Maybe you don't on other days. And that had to go on long enough. And I always say it's got to be at least 30 days of the right thing happening, which means if you're going two or three weeks and you have a real big stressor, you might be starting again mm -hmm. because it takes a good quarter of the time to develop negative behaviors as it takes to get rid of them. Even if we can get the dog to sit and stay and comply to the car going by, it's not changing the dog's mental state. So you will always push the button or you will always have to tell the dog what to do. You will always have to practice that level of training instead of just going out a walk and not being tense yourself because you have to watch so closely, but relax in the walk and be pay attention to your surroundings, which we should be doing anyway. And like Becky said, she heard the change in the car, which made her be aware of the dog or did her recognition of the change of the car change the dog. Either way, she was able to just stop it because you can't stop a dog that doesn't trust you. Right. Well, or, or, or knows to follow right. you. Yeah. Correct. She was able to communicate with him and dogs communicate to each other in a negative way. Rarely. I'm not sure yeah. what you mean by that though. They don't communicate with each other in a negative when way. Physically. Oh yeah. They don't. Yeah. Let me re verbiage that. Dogs don't physically correct one another constantly to get them to comply just like that one moment she had to turn and face them just a little and a tiny bit a tiny bit of maybe a little bit of leash maybe a little uh-uh and that was it it's all it took it's still it's still a physical it's still correction mm -hmm. versus consistent punishment to try to get a result yeah and boone was at a level there was no way you were just gonna pop the leash a little bit and give him a correction and he'd stop. I mean, that wasn't going to work. Right. No. And he'd been conditioned to feeling a lot of, yes. a lot of foreign things. Tapping e-collar can be very foreign to a dog. And mm -hmm. I don't disagree with e-collars. Right. But for that, I do. Mm -hmm. And, but it was the wrong tool for this dog. Yeah. And as 
as trainers, a lot of times I see people wanting to add on. Oh, well, martingale doesn't work. Well, go to a prong. A prong doesn't work, then add on an e-collar. And it's like, well, when are you going to stop and actually analyze the relationship and what this dog is, what the dog really is, why he's acting the way he is, and learning how to gain the trust of that dog. And I'm not saying I don't correct dogs. I mean, I will. I just had a great lesson last week that was very similar. This dog was super reactive to people coming in the house. And he was a little dog, but we we took off the halty he had on, and I got him to follow the person, and then the, he continued to follow the person and just sniff the bushes while all kinds of people and stuff were walking by. It's almost so simple, people think it won't work. It's interesting, too. I'll never forget, there was a moment where, at the workshop, Phyllis and I were walking Boone up and down next to the car in the driveway. And when he was not lunging at her face, trying to bite her, she at me and said, well, his heel's really nice. Wasn't flying off the end of the leash trying to bite anyone and anything he could grab. His heel was perfect because he had all that obedience training, Mm, right? Yeah. And it did nothing to change his state of mind. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. His obedience was very high level obedience and it did absolutely nothing to change the state of mind because it left me in a situation where I was micromanaging. I tell people you can't lead through disagreement. Right. If we're constantly telling the dog what not to do, we're not teaching them what to do. And they want to do the things that, that we agree with when they understand what that looks like and what the goal of it is. But I didn't know how to build that trust and partnership because Boone needed more than correction and e-collar and prong and don't do that. Don't do that. It didn't work for him long term. No, we call them our companions. Right. Can you imagine if our companion friends, we had to control them all the time? (laughs) And, don't you know, there are those dogs that take them out and you go, Hey, you can't do that. Right. And they go, Oh, Oh, I've never had any kind of discipline before. Yeah. And there are so many different levels and that's where, I mean, he, it took us, I mean, four lessons with weeks in between it took us, I don't know, six months. months. Yeah. Months. Probably. It took months, but again, we're talking about a dog where we're saying we're going to change behaviors. You hear trainers say, just send them in. We can fix them in two or three weeks. You're fixing. What are you fixing? Because you, you you can't, there are no quick fixes in life. And like a lot of trainers have said, well, the dog didn't do, I hear that often. I didn't see any of those behaviors. You know, the dog in Springfield, the big tall dog, you know who I'm talking about. The dog that killed another dog. Mm-hmm. That dog was with a train a couple of weeks and the trainer said he never even looked at a dog sideways. There were no issues with him whatsoever. Right? Zero. I didn't see anything. He came home with an e-collar, a prong collar, and a transitional leash. Wow. All three after two-week training. And actually, the dog was killed after training. Wow. But he went in because he was reactive. She never saw that. Never saw that side of the dog. And there's a lot of reasons for that that, you know, would be a whole in-depth conversation. Right? 
of well, different types of temperaments and different dogs and is it defensive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the breed, et cetera, right? Yeah. But, and actually I had that dog around a lot of dogs on long lines and they avoided each other 100%. I think that happens a lot. And well, so they see compliance. They see it fit and stay and go to its little cot and stay there and go to the other cot across the room and stay there. Go down the street and stay right next to you the whole time, not look at anything. Very unnatural movement. Well, it's a very controlled environment, and I think that's what you do in training to begin with, to earn the dog's trust and to teach the dog basics and things. But then as you progress through the training, you have to introduce the dog to the things that came in for in the first place. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of times. Dogs are fearful and there's a bunch of dogs around. They might not react at all. It's like a dog fight with a dog one-on-one, you know, in a fenced yard, but you put them in the dog park and they're like, forget about it. It's not going to happen. Don't answer the right questions. And, you know, like, boom, where did he bite? Where did he bite the person when he bit? And hands, right? So we say, okay, well, that's the dog's not trying to maul somebody. He's trying to get them to move away, cut it out, right? And in most cases, those dogs throw so many, so many signals. And people go, they always send me any warning at all. The dog just bit me. There's always warnings, always. And so this is a dog that I also believe, as aggressive <laughs> as he got with me that day, he was afraid and probably in fear for his life. We had to fix that over a long period of time, and it's not permanently fixed. There might always be, it might pop up again, mm-hmm. because there's there's some of that in genetics. Becky knows how to help him through it. Right. But there were other things that came with that, like talked about his nails, nails for a minute. Um, oh, yeah. When, before Boone came to live with me, they had a horrible time clipping his nails at the vet. Uh, the groomer wouldn't do it. He got kicked out of the groomer. They sent him to the vet to do it. The vet was prescribing, I want to say, 100 milligrams of trazodone and 400 milligrams of gabapentin 12 wow. hours before and hours before for a nail trim. And again, I did no counter conditioning, no desensitization, no look at the nail trim or get a treat, no, nothing like that. And when I sat down for the first, and I let it go for a little bit, I let it go. Well, we were building the relationship and while we were kind of just doing the trust part of the work. And when I went to groom his nails, he laid perfectly still, offered his paws up and allowed me to do it. No drug, no nothing. When he said that was enough, I, I agreed. And I, he just, when he started, when he started just avoiding and wanting to pull the paw away, I let him do that. (laughs) And and I, you know, and I stopped trying to trim more and I waited until the next day and I tried again and he let me do more. And, and it's this really became this really easy relationship. Mm -hmm. He trusted me allow me to do those things even when that had been a terrifying experience for him in the past that he wrote you know that i mean i won't i'm not sure he required that level of medication that's enough medication to sedate uh, a human he groomed his nails and take care of him without any issue wow it's all from building a trusting relationship and working a dog through things and taking the time to do that right 
Well, and giving the dog a little bit of say-so in the relationship. Exactly. You know, I mean, we wouldn't like it if we were held down and forced to get a nail trim. If we didn't like it, that would make a lot of people really uncomfortable. And yet we expect our dogs to just tolerate things like that without them really trusting us and i'm lucky i don't have to trim any of my dog's nails anymore (laughs) they wear down naturally (laughs) and it's one thing i really don't like to do you know a lot of times when i bring a dog home from the shelter i don't give it a bath for three days even though it stinks to high heaven Uh, because of this reason you know i want to build some kind of relationship with the dog first before i subject it to this really strange thing of putting it in a bathtub and putting shampoo on it and then I think the dog can handle it better and I will say it depends on the dog some dogs are fine with baths right away they don't care Um, but the fearful dogs I definitely wait until I build that level of trust I don't think I gave Tipton a bath for two months I, I find like with building trust people when I go in to train someone's dog they expect me to do a lot of obedience training and I don't I'm more relationship based and then I kind of add on you know obedience I don't think obedience is bad by any means I think having both is like the perfect combination but I think a lot of the relationship building is is overlooked and if that relationship is built then the rest of it is easier on the dog and the human. But I think even though it's kind of simple, it's not easy for people to do this. So what did you think, Becky, when Phyllis was like, oh, yeah, just walk the dog in the woods. Don't take him around cars. Were you like, what? <laughs> I mean, I thought it sounded crazy. Um <laughs> Honestly, until that first day that we walked past cars and he just followed me and didn't really perk up except that one single time, like, I didn't know if it would work. Right. (laughs) I didn't know. I really, I wasn't sure, you know, I just honestly, I knew that what I knew and what I had done and what I was pretty good at, I guess, you know, was not working. And I also knew that he was not going to be a safe dog Mm -hmm. if I didn't figure out something different. And so I was really at a point where I was willing to try anything, Yeah, you know, because I I knew him as the soft, sweet boy. And I knew that who he became in those moments where he was absolutely terrified was not who he really was, especially after seeing how he did in the temperament test. I remember I got tears in my eyes. I thought for sure a stranger would take the leash and he would bite right away. (laughs) You know, uh, he had kind of just gotten to the point where when he showed interest in going up to strangers, I was allowing him to engage with that if he was in a calm way and not, we had really, it would have been maybe a month before the seminar that, I was trusting him to go up to people in a friendly, calm, not terrified and, you know, waiting to bite someone type of way. Because Mm -hmm. it was a long time before I, before he wanted any parts of 
acknowledging strangers in the vicinity. I cried. I was very like pleasantly surprised. And I also, it also was emotional in the sense that I, once I saw who he was capable of being, who he, who he wanted to be, Phyllis says all the time, that's the dog he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I saw that and, and saw how severe, you know, the fear response had become, I felt a tremendous, I guess, sense of responsibility to kind of right the ship as much as I could. Putting the tools and the obedience and the corrections and the amount of pressure on him the way that I did, the way that I knew how in the beginning, probably increased the, uh, the, the aggression in that fear response. And broke more trust and, you know, correcting a scared dog right when they're scared, it doesn't, uh, doesn't always snap them back to a calm, happy uh, state of mind. Right. Especially once I saw, you know, and I saw little changes happening in the house over time. One mm. of the first things I think that happened, really noticed a big change was Boone especially, but all of my dogs when they weren't allowed anymore to bark at things outside the house. And because I I took that job, I took that job of paying attention to the sounds and inspecting, you know, the unknowns, potentially scary situations. Like I took that job from them. Mm -hmm. I remember being surprised the first time that they 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 gave a little bark they heard something i went to the door and started checking it out and i felt all of them watch me <laughs> instead of right so instead of thing out the window and trying to you know get in front of me to get up there first they fell back and they watched me while i went and when i relaxed they went and relaxed oh yeah that's pretty powerful So when I started to see things like that happen in the house and I felt Boone watching me and following me and making that choice, realizing that I was the one who could keep him safer than he could keep himself. Right. And so I started to see these little things change and that definitely kept me motivated and gave me a lot of buy-in. But I still remember the first time we walked past those cars, (laughs) I just couldn't believe that. Yeah, I just really couldn't. It just so against everything that I thought I knew about dog training because I never, I didn't play car sounds while he ate meals and slowly increase the volume and, you know, try to counter condition these things in these positive ways. It was all, it was all the relationship. Yeah. And I think he, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen him, but he struck me as a dog that would gladly follow someone that was, or, or a dog that was leading, you know, he didn't strike me as that kind of independent, you know, dog that wanted to take charge. He does not enjoy being in a place of authority, but he will take the position if he spoke the vacancy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's definitely me it's it was me becoming the leader that he needed and learning how to lead for him in a way that's meaningful not just in the moments where he's terrified for his life yeah. in all of the moments of all of 
the, you know, all of his life because then it's easier, right? It's what we're doing all the time Mm -hmm. and he's following my lead and my cues and he's letting me assess the threat. And then when we're in the situation that's harder and scarier and where he's felt unsafe before, it's much easier for him to relinquish that control because we've been practicing it everywhere else all of the time. Yeah, exactly. And Phyllis has a saying, what is it, Phyllis? A leader is a leader 100% of the time. Or It's like you're always a leader 100% of the... And a leader is not a dictator. Like we're, That's not what we're talking about. Correct. Well, my dog Annie, right, For as an example, a lot of the time she just was the laziest dog ever. But she never relinquished that position when she needed to either protect or break up uh, the dogs were getting too rowdy or whatever, you know, she'd get up. She wasn't watching TV too lazy to (laughs) intervene, you know, or just calling from inside the house like, hey, get in here, guys. She would get up and go handle it. And I think a lot of people... I think what you were... You can either be a leader or a follower, but you can't be both. Yeah, and that doesn't mean the leader never follows the other dogs. Like, if the other dogs sense something or smell something interesting, the leader leader will still go check it out and follow the other dogs. So there's a give and take, too, that I think doesn't happen a lot. And then it's hard to it's hard to trust a dog that's so reactive again. So how did you get over that, Becky? That's a good question. I think I I learned to trust myself. Mm. I also learned I learned how to be more aware of the things that upset him, the things that threw him off. Mm-hmm. Phyllis would say a lot that I needed to look for him. Mm. Yeah. So when he would hear something, he would worried about it, right? He'd, he'd look over and we kind of have this tendency as humans to process things at, at the drop of a hat in a split second. Mm-hmm. And we do it so quickly that the dogs don't recognize the internal process that's happening. And so I learned how to be in tune with his energy and attend to the things that upset him for the amount of time and with the amount of intensity and in the way that reassured him. Mm-hmm. It can become, if I focus on something for too long and I start to become upset or too unsure about it, then the dogs will, will join me in that also. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's kind of this balance of how much do I attend so that he relaxes, but not too intensely that it makes him more upset. Right. Like people tensing up on the leash because they're anticipating the dog's going to react. And then that's actually what triggers the reaction. Right. But in a much deeper level. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, I learned to trust myself a lot in those times and in those moments. And I also learned how to take the cue from Boone. If I checked, if I looked at something and I decided it was fine and I relaxed back and he didn't, I joined him in again, 
sharing concern about what the what the issue was Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah instead of no hush stop no don't do that come over here go sit there go to your place right don't do that instead of that micromanager leading through disagreement when he was too scared i didn't disagree with him being scared I learned how to lead so that he was reassured. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look the way that we think it does, right? Like as humans, we reassure through touch and, and coddling and, and, you know, focusing attention and talking, so much talking. <laughs> and that just puts more pressure on the dog who then thinks they have the burden of taking the action because we're attending to them and not to the quote unquote scary thing, whatever they're worried about. Yeah, and I'm thinking of like, you know, my husband was in the military and so let's say there's, I don't know, I'm gonna use the wrong terms here, but a patrol out, you know, looking for the enemy. And there's someone in charge of that patrol and then there's the, the privates or whatever doing their patrolling. And if the private says, hey, there's something over here, <laughs> we, you know, the enemies over here, the the guy in charge isn't going to go, ah, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, they're going right. to like assess if there's really a threat there or not, because, you know, it'd be silly to go tell all the people that are actually at the front lines fighting that they don't know <laughs> what they're talking about. That image just popped into my yeah, head. Having pets, having dogs is a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. You All would. around. Even working dogs, you know, just making them do a bunch of things to control the behavior so that they don't do it is really the person with the equipment in their hand constantly having to be vigilant mm-hmm. versus coming to that agreement. Well, and we, I mean, not very long ago, we used dogs to alert us to all kinds of things when we were living out on the prairie and all that stuff. That was yep. their one of their large purposes. And I can guarantee you if a dog got scared or barked, someone living like that would go and check it out. Correct. I think we've become very comfortable and we feel very safe which unless you live in Albuquerque. (laughs) So Becky, what does life look like with Boone now? Or have you given him some freedoms now? Have you found like, I mean, I know when I was training my dogs with Phyllis, it was a little more structured in the beginning. And then I kind of found this happy balance. Um, Have you guys gotten point? We're working on it. I would say... I'm still working on kind of finding that right balance of freedom that doesn't inflate his sense of control in other areas, Mm -hmm. I would say. So I have found, you know, life now is (laughs) overall so much easier. We function as a team. There's a lot of cooperation. I understand him in a different way and he understands me. We do things together. That's just kind of like the general vibe. Mm-hmm. in the house now is we do together and he uh he really likes that i have had a couple of times where i've thought oh you 
you know, let him have a small run off the leash. You know, that human thing in me that says, oh, you know, let him have freedom. He's doing so well. And I have found that there's too far with that for Boom. Mm-hmm. When I have let him kind of, when I've dropped the leash and let him have a little run while we're out on a hike. The next few days, it changes his headspace. Interesting. Increases his reactivity to noises outside of the house. So we will we will consistently be a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know, but in other ways, like he gets some time in the yard off of the leash now when it's a certain time of day and I know there's not going to be things out there that are going to upset him. And, but overall, I mean, we were able to walk by cars. He mm-hmm. doesn't react. So he actually hasn't had knock on wood. He hasn't had a major, he hasn't had a reaction since the workshop. That was the last time that he had a blow up and we're still going strong with that, which is really, really great. And overall he's calm. It doesn't look, quote unquote, happy in the traditional way that I viewed dogs being, quote unquote, happy because he's not on, you know, constantly full of hyper energy and Mm -hmm. running and jumping and playing and wrestling and all of these things that my human, you know, my human uh, emotions before a year ago basically would have told me is the definition of happy for a dog, but he's calm. He rests. He's content. He follows. He's happy now. It wasn't happy for him having that quote unquote freedom when it put him in the state of being so fearful. Yeah. And stressed out and all that other stuff. Now things are much easier (laughs) and calmer and quieter and He's more at peace. So how's your pack overall? Because I know that was part of it you mentioned before, just kind of working with your pack of dogs. How many dogs do you have? I have three dogs. The whole vibe has changed. The whole vibe has changed in the house. And all of the dogs now look for me. Mm. before they do things, before they start barking at something outside of the house, when we're out, when we're doing things. And I've moved away from the obedience in a general sense and the e-collars in a specific sense. I haven't put e-collars on any of my dogs since I came back in October. And that's not because I think e-collars are a bad tool. My dogs don't need it. Mm. So I have Boone and I have two girls and I was already at the point with them where we were off leash. I was never having to hit the button. They were always responding to me and felt safe even now having them off leash without that tool because we have the right relationship where they're following me even if they're not on a tether, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really increased all of our trust. I trust them more. They trust me more. It's beautiful. It's calm. It's quiet. (laughs) And they're, they're happy. They're more content. Awesome. And those were like unintended, unintended consequences or side effects. You know, I didn't go into this thinking 
I need to revamp my whole pack. I learned and I'm still learning so much about leading, leading and leading dogs in a natural way, in mm -hmm. a way that makes sense to them and is readily accessible to them because of their evolutionary instincts and their genetic design and not because I'm pushing a button on a remote control mm -hmm. and not because I'm saying the right sequence of words in the right order to make them perform. They have understand the expectations and, and like Phyllis was talking about the contract. So like I have things that I fulfill for them and they have things that they fulfill for me and we live in a much more balanced, harmonious state now as mm -hmm. a result of those things that are really, that matter so much to a dog. Yeah. The elevation, the access to resources and space and all of these little details that I ignored and that I didn't, I didn't think were important before that now I know are, because I see it in my everyday life are the foundation of everything for a dog and how they understand the world and how they understand your relationship and their place and their role in, in life in a general sense. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty amazing the way they uh, work together and live quite peacefully, actually, together, much more so than humans, usually. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And I always, I always think, you know, most dogs want to feel that way. Sometimes they just need help figuring out how to get there because ooh, whatever's happened in in their past or maybe, of course, their genetics mixed in and all that stuff um, that kind of can't get there without some help. So that's, right. where, that's where we can step in and, and help the dogs get to where they would choose to be without if they were living without us, right? <laughs> now Boone gets to be the dog he wants to be. Because mm -hmm. we helped him try to fix him. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Phyllis? No. No? No, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing her out. She's worn out from all these. I felt like this one was left unanswered. Uh -huh. And I know, and I had watched that happen. And then, like, we didn't really go back to it. We right. focused on other things. Well, what happened to that little brown dog, Ben? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I also felt like at that particular workshop, I was really gone for a good part of that day. This is why. You were working with Becky and Boone, and yeah. I was doing the other Working with part. everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just one of those things that happened, and we're totally open to people reaching out to us and going, hey, you know, we came to a workshop like a year ago, and this happened, and we have a question about this. I mean, it doesn't end there. Well, yeah, I think of a workshop as just the beginning, actually. And, and you can accomplish quite a few things because you have lots of people and other dogs there and you can do a lot of scenarios to help people with whatever issues made them bring the dog to the workshop. But it's only three days time too. And you can't work with one dog that much because you have other dogs there. Of course, like not not resolving things to the point where maybe people can go home and have some success, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you know, it's, it's, 
it's bothersome, although it's just what happens with some dogs. So anyway, I'm glad Becky allowed us, or you mostly. I don't think I did much of anything, actually. Worked with you so you could well, you're finish and, yeah. and help her complete the whole. Phyllis agreed to work with us, and yeah. I think we were both relieved. Yes, we were both very <laughs> relieved. Yeah. Yeah, she, she knows yeah. what she's doing a little bit. <laughs> A little. <laughs> yeah, that is my. I'm starting to get the hang of this. Might make a career out of it. Right. Yay. <laughs> but they're all puzzles, and we have to put the pieces together, right? And some of those just take longer, and they need more. You have to really think about what you're doing, and not just try a bunch of things. You got to really think it through, because along the line of trying. Too many other things can actually cause a lot more problems. Try this. Well, that didn't work. Okay, try this now. Well, for how long did you stick with whatever it is before you said it wasn't working? And the right thing for the right dog at the right time. How do you know? How do you know when you when you meet a dog or you start working with a dog what they need? Well, you know, a lot of that no is quick fix. Yeah. experience. But also, Boone told us what he needed because he he was afraid of the car. That was his core, I think, because that's what yep. he did without any human influence. And so he told us what he needed there. Sometimes you have to solve problems well holistically, you know. I mean, just like with us, with mental health issues or health problems, a lot of times it's not just addressing that one single thing. It's it's more a holistic approach. But but he told us, no. luckily he, he showed us that little bit of himself so we could figure him out. And, you know, Phyllis and I love puzzles anyway. So mm-hmm. if there's a dog that stumps us, that's the one we're going to work on more. Yeah. Becky, thank you so much for joining us. And... Thank you for having Telling Boone's story and your story and been on this journey with Phyllis with my own dogs and years ago. And, you know, I know how much it's like changed my entire life, not to get like all sappy and stuff, but learning how to live this way with a dog can help. Well, it helped me figure out how to live that way with people more. Yeah. Uh, the dogs help me out. <laughs> All right, well, I'm glad Boone is now successfully walking past cars without reacting. Me too. Yay. <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, your whole household, all your dogs are happy and content and having a good time. I wanted to thank Becky so much for coming on our podcast and sharing her experience and how many times less is more and building a partnership with your dog can amount to a lot to increase the dog's behavior in a positive way. If anyone out there is interested in our workshops, Phyllis and I are teaching some in Virginia in October and also in the spring. Please check out my website, hearttoheartcanine.com to find out the specifics. It's H-A-R-T, number two, H-E-A-R-T, C-A-N-I-N-E.com.